Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law will fight that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 372, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We have much to dive into. We'll go through the Cowboys pre-draft press conference as this will be our final episode before Thursday's first round and the newest great Dallas Cowboy is acquired. Unless they trade out of the first round and then, of course, we will have nothing to talk about other than why didn't they draft somebody in the first round. But we'll figure out that as we go through. We got a little Stars, got a little Rangers, some other NFL news, all kinds of things to jump in here. But as you guys know, you know us by now, we started off with one of our great sponsors in Robert Greening at Greening Law. Worked with them for 18 months. Hurt in a car accident, he's got you. Experienced malpractice from a physician, a hospital, what have you. Injured on the premises of a business. I'm telling you right now, if you are in a situation where you have had injury to your person and it wasn't your fault, and you've got medical bills, and you need to get insurance companies involved, you need to make the call to Greening Law because they are wizards at what they do in this realm. They've got the expertise. They will guide you, and you need somebody to take you through this process. And I'm telling you straight up, Greening Law is the go-to. Yeah, as Matt's told you, that this is not something that you need to navigate by yourself, uh, going up against somebody else's insurance company. Go with somebody that can walk you through this long tedious, complicated, sometimes intimidating process. Greening Law does it better than most. And so what we're telling you is if you're involved in one of these situations, what you really need to do is pick up the phone, give them a call. Y'all should know the number by now. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. Say, hey, Green Team, here's the details. Here's my situation. What do you think? And as I keep telling y'all, hope that heck that they bring you on as a client. 972-934-8900. Consultation's free. If you think you have a case, give them a call because they'll tell you. It takes about 10 minutes or so for the consultation, and they will let you know that day if you've got a case or not. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. So call him now. It's offices right there in Dallas, Texas. NFL draft time is upon us, man. I love this time of the year. I'm a draft fan. I've told you this before, and I'm sure many of you that listen may remember. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll watch the entire first round. 
Now, the Stars are going to play on Friday night. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm going to be watching the draft when Dallas Stars playoff hockey is going on. There's no way for you to do it on your, on your laptop, your tablet. Oh, yeah, I guess I could. You know, I don't ever think about that because I, for whatever reason, like in my brain, I didn't grow up in the world of watching tablets and stuff like that. And, and I've had friends like, man, why don't you just like you could watch this one on the TV and this on the tablet? I'm like, dude, I, I could do, do that. You're I got, correct. Uh, <laughs> I got two tablets and a laptop. There's, there's no limit to the number of things I have going on at once. Yeah. And YouTube TV was doing during the NCAA tournament. They experimented with the multi-screen, which was awesome. Right. But oh, I, that's what you've got. Yeah. I have YouTube TV, but I don't think oh. that they let you. Yeah, like, they do. They, well, during the NCAA tournament, it was just, here's the choices. You can pick this and you can watch multi-screen, but you couldn't pick what multi-screens you wanted to watch. It was just whatever they offered. Oh, okay. But no, if you if you got something on your TV, you can then go to your laptop and watch something else. Yeah, because I'll have to do that so we can have both yeah, going because yeah. the stars will be on the main TV. I can promise you that. I mean, we're talking right. playoff hockey, and regardless of what happens, and we'll get into this later, Friday night's an elimination game for either the stars or the wild. However... To, however game five goes it has to be so yeah rounds two and three of the draft on friday and then of course four through seven i'm not as into because you start getting into the weird stuff kind of follow along on my phone and just kind of see what the cowboys are doing more so than anything else or there's right. a surprise name that somehow doesn't make it into thursday or friday and you go man i can't believe this quarterback fell or you know a guy like a Dwayne mcbride who played at uab that i'm really interested to see what team grabs him if he goes in the fourth round where he goes but the cowboys had their pre-draft press conference you were there and and i'll be curious to hear your take i will say that all the clips that i pulled are from steven because man and you were there jerry has hit a point in his age where that dude rambles more than he rambled ever before and he it's like Stephen will give you an answer or wait for Jerry to finish. Like, I don't even know what Jerry's talking about. And then Stephen goes, okay, well, basically to answer the question. And then he just lays out the actual answer. Yeah, there was a little bit of that yesterday. Um, I mean, he is 80 years old. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and it's, I also thought it was odd because he referred to Will Clay, who is actually Will McClay. And even at the end, he, he's like, I, I do want to point out Will Clay and how important he is to us. I was like, wow, so important you don't know his name. Well, uh, I've been told he does that quite a bit uh, with Will McClay. <laughs> he had another one yesterday, too. Uh, but uh, I, actually, I was more struck that his voice was uh, seemed weak and soft. Yeah, it did. And they, they had to boost because I was I watched the, the video of it. And at the beginning, I was like, man, what is wrong with the feed? And it was just Jerry talking really quiet. And they had to boost his mic way up, which affected a lot of the other clips. And you'll hear this because everybody kept hitting the table and laying their hands on the table. And because they had boosted Jerry's mic so hot that every time one of them touches the table, it makes a loud noise. And there's I, I tried to take some of that out so that it didn't drive people nuts when I play these clips. But it kind of is what it is. True that, true that. But we'll get into this, and I did think it was interesting, and, and I'm going to play two clips here. The first is Stephen Jones talking about it, and the second is Mike McCarthy. And you talk about being in lockstep going into the draft, and that's what you and I have talked about with the Cowboys. Nobody knows the, what it looks like. Nobody knows what it, it looks like for any team, and that's the board and why do they have success drafting? And how do they make some of the decisions? Well, Stephen addresses it first, and it, it goes back to the board. I would say have your board in order. I mean, that's how you get prepared. I mean, as long as you feel confident about your board, what other people do, I mean, it affects you. It takes options away. 
But as long as you feel very comfortable as those guys fall off, your best guys are the guys that you have remaining on your board, then you feel very much at peace that you'll be just fine. But we'll obviously role play those scenarios and, you know, you do the mock drafts and, you know, there's value to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you got your board in an order that you feel really comfortable about in proper order, then end of the day, I think you feel pretty good about what the outcome is going to be on draft day. And right on the heels uh, later in the press conference, excuse me, Mike McCarthy basically echoing already what Stephen had said, pointing back to that same thing with the board. Like really what Stephen and Jerry both uh, have already spoken on. I, I just think the draft board is so much like a, you know, like the, your call sheet in the Super Bowl. I mean, you, there's so much work that goes in to putting together this draft board. You have to trust your, you got to trust your board. And, and, and I think that's the times that, that I've been in rooms when you, when you don't trust it, you know, the, the room for error increases. So, and being down there at 26, you know, I, I'm an optimist. I, I have great confidence there'll be a hell of a football player there when we pick each and every round. And there's a lot of truth to that. And again, sometimes the Cowboys will use the phrase blinking light and we like to make fun of it. Right, right. But the truth of it is, if you stick to your board, e- even if the prognosticators and the, the talking heads on draft night, oh, I can't believe they took this guy here. What well, the Cowboys come out and, and okay, then, then that's an evaluation that you can't fix on draft night. You've screwed up the evaluation process to have somebody that maybe you took that everybody else was sitting there going, wow, you could have got. And we've gone through this before, you know, like the Tristan Hill pick. People were like, man, you could have got that guy a whole round later and things of that nature. Well, if the Cowboys have it on their board that this guy right here is what we need to go for, then you can't fault them for trusting their board. You can fault the process of how they put the board together. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is or who put the board together. Right. You know, I used to go, we used to have conversations about this. Um, me, a lot of times, Todd Archer, um, sometimes David Moore, occasionally Clarence Hill. And we would just be like, you know, you spend millions, really, putting your board together. Millions. So you either have to trust it or you have to get rid of the people who put it together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really one or the other. And so if you put the board together and you have good scouting, then you should have good drafts, and that's kind of what the Cowboys have had. Um, and the thing that they have done, uh, and I don't know how other teams work intimately the way I know how the Cowboys work, but the one thing that they have done is what? They have created a system where they really have a consensus grade on players. A lot of other organizations have scouts grade, coaches grade. And then, you know, when it gets, when it gets to, to the draft time, it can be, well, the coach really liked this guy, but scouts didn't, and so the coach won out on this one. Mm-hmm. Cowboys do a consensus grade. And I've asked Will about this multiple times. I go, well, how do you disagree? Well, you know, you say it's this and somebody else says that. He says, we then – if we can't work it out, we go back in the room, we look at tape of this person until we have a consensus grade. And so what that means is the board is aligned as an organization. And when it's aligned as an organization, you're less likely to make mistakes because nobody's got more clout than the other because as an organization, you came to this decision that B. John Robinson is the, you know, pick a number, fifth best player in the draft. Or the blinking light is somebody else because they're the 17th player in the draft and here they are at 26. And it just makes sense to go get them. Yeah, and, and, and that's really the thing that I think the Cowboys do really, really well. And, and you hear it right there from the coach and from Steven about sticking to that board and how important that is, which I agree with. And, I, and like I've said, I'm, I'm glad that they do that 
and they don't panic and they don't feel like, oh God, we got to get said position at 26. Well, we got this guy, man, he's there and he's, he's right at the top of our board. Well, we don't, I mean, outside of quarterback, obviously, I mean, let's say not that this is going to happen. You know, you got Bryce Young, number one on your board and somehow he's there at 26, (laughs) you know, right. (laughs) What what are you going to do? But realistically speaking is what we talk about. And I just thought that was interesting. And also, and you've mentioned this, we haven't talked about this since last draft, and maybe some of our listeners have forgotten. The Cowboys, they do a lot of mock drafts. I think they said yesterday they've done like over 30 mock drafts, kind of like the exercise that we do when we use the mock draft simulator and we talk it out. The Cowboys are doing that to see, okay, in this scenario, what would we do? And the conversations that they'll have so that they feel a lot more comfortable on draft day and they're not caught off guard as much if okay what what do we do if Bijan robinson starts to fall and he's going to be there in the late teens or early 20s what do we do with the cd lamb year if cd lamb makes it to the mid-teens and i think that they do a really good job of doing that and, and that's why these mock draft exercises while we don't know their board and we're not in the room they are a realistic way to kind of paint the picture of what the cowboys are doing um mccarthy said he'll probably that he did one yesterday with with uh, will mcclay but they have a program, kind of like uh, the one we use, but it's uh, it's theirs. Um, and he says he just does a lot of them by himself. You know, let me see how it goes here. Let me see how it goes here. Because you're right. You don't want to be on the clock. Hey, Michael Mayer's there. B. J. Robbins is there. What do we do? Yeah. You that's, know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, don't, you don't want that. You want that discussion to have happened this week and say, hey, we got to take Mayer because we don't have a tight end and we do have a running back. So as great as he is, and yes, he's a better player, but for what we need, the tight end fits better. Or you say, well, we're going to take Robinson, and then in the second round we need to get one of these five tight ends who should be there. You know, whatever decision that you make, mm-hmm. um, you, can, you just want to make it off the clock as best that you can. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, of course, as they navigate the first round. And again, you and I have talked about this, but you can hear it straight from Stephen Jones here when asked about the number of first round grades that will be there in the actual first round for them on Thursday night. That's still to be determined. I mean, we're still tweaking and, you know, we're going to, you know, have some things that we're still working on as as we move forward. But I think in general, it's going to be 15 to 17, 18 range. should end up being pretty close. Like Jacques and I have told you, 18 at most, 15, somewhere in that mid-teens range, those are the true first-round guys. And with the Cowboys drafting at 26, well, if, if one of those top 18 guys falls to you, it's pretty obvious who you're taking. If not, then there's a reason why the NFL is weighted the way it is because all these teams are sitting here going, you suck, so you get actual <laughs> first-round guys. Yeah, it's a uh, now, you know, the other interesting question I was uh, kicking around uh, with somebody yesterday is that we always talk about this as first 14 to 17 first round picks. Mm-hmm. You know, the other question is, well, how many second round yeah, picks are there? I always wondered that, too. You know, are there, you know, 20 to 22 second round picks? So basically after the 39th pick of the second round, are you now talking about really guys who are like third rounders on your board? Uh, to me, that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm going to try to find that out this weekend. I would really enjoy knowing that as well. And, and, and I will say this, and, and, you know, draft prognosticators don't work for NFL teams. But like Todd McShay put out something the other day, and, and these guys call general managers, and general managers talk to them. And then they, because they, general managers want to know, what are you hearing? 
You know, what are right. you hearing about this guy? And, and they try to figure out what's smoke and what's real. And, and they kind of pick their brains. And McShave and admitted that. He talks to all these guys in the front offices and he goes, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. But here is what I am hearing the most of. And we'll throw that out here in a second because I thought it was curious. But it, it's the same thing when you look at this. So Matt Miller, who is an ESPN NFL draft analyst and has been doing this for like the last 15 years or whatever, he said, I had him on my radio show the other day, and he said that he has 18 first-round grades in this draft, which is higher than he's had in a few years. He said, normally I have 15 or 16, and there's like two or three more first-round graded guys in this draft, which I thought was interesting. And of course, you know, fits in lockstep with what the Cowboys are telling you. So if you go, oh, I bet there's more than 18. No, no, there's, there's not. That's, that's the reality of what the situation is. The other thing, and these a couple of these are a little bit longer, but we bring up the Bijan Robinson thing. We took him in one of our mock drafts. How does Steven feel about drafting a running back in the first round? And here is a longer answer, an explanation of, would that even be a consideration perhaps at 26? Well, I think you have to pay attention, uh, you know, to the history of, of the running back and what happens. I mean, obviously we made a conscious decision to take Zeke I think he was a big part of our success there when we got Dak and Zeke in there together, uh, what he brought to the table. But at the same time, there's very few Emmett Smiths that play at a high level, a productive level for 10 years. And, you know, what I would say to you, if you're picking, you know, in the top 10, call it top 12, 15, wherever you want to make the cutoff, you really are thinking, boy, we have to, like to think, have to have a second contract out of that deal. And, uh, and so does it affect you when you're thinking about a running back when you're up that high? Yes. As you start to really look at, you know, as you move down the draft, you'd like to hope you're going to have success that that player's going to be a second round, you know, a second contract. Uh, but it's, in my opinion, one opinion, you know, not as necessary that you have to necessarily get, you know, to that second contract. And if you happen to see a back, you know, they're at the bottom of the first that's rare and unique and he falls because he's a running back, then I would have to think we'd be considering it, especially if we thought he should have been picked, you know, in the top half of the draft. But maybe because he is a running back, he's he's fallen a little bit. And obviously, a lot of these backs can come in to the NFL and play right away and play at a high level right away. I mean, Zeke proved it. I am, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have backs like that. But you can also get really good running backs you know, as a lot of teams have shown, you can get them in the second and third and fourth round as well. But uh, I think every situation's unique, but uh, I do think you have to pay attention to what, you know, the history and how these backs progress in our league and, you know, how many play at a certain level for five years, how many play at a certain level for seven, you know, when does it really start to, that curve start to roll over on you, if you will, uh, in terms of uh, the production. Now, a very long answer there, but I thought a really good explanation. And I don't know if you picked it up. It was about halfway through that answer when he said, it's my opinion, at least me, that you don't necessarily have to have a second contract for a guy like that. And that's what you and I have talked about in terms of a Bijan Robinson. You get a guy in the first round, you, you pick up his fifth year option, you can tag him for, if you wanted to, two years, and you never give him a second contract. And I thought it was interesting that Steven made a point of saying that because it's obvious who he's talking. I mean, he's talking about B. John Robinson there without saying his name. Correct. And uh, that's the decision you have to make coming down. And again, Pollard's only here for one more year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I still hear people saying uh, they've got bigger needs. You can't take a running back. Yes, you can. 
I mean, now what happens is you take a running back, but it's up to your offensive coordinator to figure out, and that's your head coach, to figure out how to maximize the use of the guy so that you get the best of Pollard and the best of Bijan. And then don't forget, the likelihood is that Pollard will, will uh, to me, the likelihood is that Pollard will leave after this season, unless in the next uh, two or three months. And Stephen did mention this yesterday. Yes, he did. Uh, unless they can get him signed to a three or four year deal. My suspicion is it'd be a, you know, I think they'd love to do a, a four year deal that's really a three year deal to make it easier on the cap. And frankly, man, if I were Tony Pollard, uh, I would be trying to get it done. And I would, because there's just no market for running backs, bro. No. And so if you can get some type of guarantee, especially because he's now moving into 27. At least stay with a team that already knows how to use you, blah, 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 and really see if you can get just some guaranteed money uh, because, dude, it's, it's just hard out there for running backs. No matter how you are, and they're going to use your age against you. And whatever guarantees you can pick up at 27, I'd probably be inclined to pick up. Yeah, I would think the same thing. I thought it was interesting, too, because you brought it up, and I didn't play this answer because it was very, very long one when he was talking about because he was asked, do you, I think it was Todd that I asked him a question about, do you have to look ahead knowing you've got all these contracts coming up and do you kind of draft, like we got to have some guys coming behind it. And he wasn't asked specifically about the running back position. And he pointed that out saying, you know, we're going to have to make some hard decisions and pointed out Tony Pollard is one of those guys. We obviously like him. We franchised him, you know, and we'd like to have him here for three, four years, but that's going to be a tough decision. You know, and, and, and to me, when you listen to Steven, he gives you little clues like that. I mean, he's flat out telling everybody why it would make sense if B. John Robinson is doable, why that would make sense for them. Yeah, and then you get a bunch of naysayers. Oh, you never take a runner back in the first round. And that's just, you know, there's certain circumstances that, that change everything in every draft or every situation. And, um, you know, as long as it makes sense, you can do whatever you want to. And people can disagree with it. But your logic behind whatever you did made sense and so then it just becomes a matter of opinion and time will tell if your opinion was correct or not because it's just like we said if um if B. John robinson plays five years and helps you win a super bowl basically you're tied girly it you get tied girly he helps you win a super bowl then it was worth it <laughs> yeah i'm gonna tell you i i don't give a crap if b if they win a super bowl in the first three years of Bijan and then he never plays again after three years i am good yeah, so I mean that's what it boils down to. You know, you got these are just these are the same types of people who say, you know, you don't trade prospects or they want you to tank. You know, they they have all these hard and fast silly ass rules um that are that are across the board. And drafts and organizations and leagues just don't work like that. There's not a black and white thing. It's a lot of gray in it. I'm going to tell you straight up and it goes back to the board. If Bijan Robinson is, let's just say, number five on their board, and you can get him in the twenties, I would, I would do whatever it took to get that guy. I think, um, you know, again, then it's up to McCarthy, but it makes you a better offense because let's just keep it real, man. Tight end. I mean, and we're, we're we're talking about if there's if we're talking about a tight end, man. Tight end is not a dynamic player in general. They're only going to touch the ball four or five times. Yes, they could help you in a run game, but you can find somebody to do that if that's your biggest desire. Right. Um, we're talking about playmakers. And Bijan Robinson is a bona fide playmaker. You add him to Tony Pollard, 
and you put them both on the field when they can both catch. And there, if you're creative, there's some really dynamic things you can do as a uh, as a as a play caller. And then your ability to close out games should should grow exponentially because you know they're going to split time if you bring them in. There's no need for you to make one the starter and one the backup. No, they both carry 175 times next year. So speaking of tight end, Mike McCarthy did address this. He was asked directly about drafting a tight end in the first round is something that he didn't really do much in Green Bay. And we already all know that the Cowboys haven't done it in years and years here in Dallas. Here's what McCarthy said about the tight end position possibly in the first round. I think it's the same thing. You got to trust your board. I, you know, I, I understand that, you know, most people, you know, feel that there's primary positions that, you know, when you're assessing value, you know, whether it's pass rusher and corner, you know, tackle and quarterback. But I think in today's game, the safety position and the tight end position can, can start to challenge the, the being a primary position in my view of how I look at, you know, positions in football. But uh, Bubba Franks was there my first year. He was the number one pick. But yeah, I, I think it's just more that it, it, it was not a philosophy of we don't take a tight end in the first round. So that, that wasn't the case. Um, so I, I think it's really comes down to the board. And he was asked because he was like, well, you haven't taken a, a, a tight end. And I thought it was interesting he brought that up. He wasn't the head coach when Green Bay took Bubba Franks. No. I, I think he, he was a quarterback's coach when they drafted Bubba Franks in the first round overall because, you know, the, the question was when, when you were co- – so I thought that was interesting. He was like, oh, we took one. I was like, no, nah, you didn't. I, I doubt the quarterback's coach had much input on what the draft pick was. But, you know, point being, and, and we'll see how the board plays out. I, I, I don't know – I have no idea what they're thinking for the first one. Nobody does. No, I, I, he made another interesting comment as part of that answer, uh, either ahead of it or behind it, and it was this. He was talking about the key positions on the field, and he said tight end is really not one of them like receiver and quarterback. And it got me to thinking, and Rick Goslin taught me this, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, that, um, you know, there were six key positions on the football field. Now you got to, and, and it's really interesting to talk about it now because the game has changed. And, it, and the six key positions were quarterback, running back, wide receiver, left tackle, pass rusher, cornerback. Basically all perimeter spots, all designed to uh, score touchdowns or prevent touchdowns. And now you can really and see, and, and it went back to, if you look at the Cowboys when they win the Super Bowls, who were in those six spots? Aikman, Irvin, Emmitt, Hall of Famers, Tuane, uh, Pro Bowler, Charles Haley, Hall of Famer, Deion Sanders, uh, one year, uh, Hall of Famer, a couple other years, Larry Brown, so or Kevin Smith before he got hurt. Point being, look at the elite players you had playing those key positions. So yeah. now if you look at it, it's probably now still quarterback, receiver, uh, left tackle, pass rusher, and then um, cornerback, but running back is no longer one of those six key spots. But who was never part of those six key spots, which is kind of the gist of the point I'm trying to make? Tight end was never there. So if you're looking in the first round, the first round is typically selections of those positions that I, that I named because those are the positions that help you win right. games. Yeah, and again, and we talked about this on our last podcast, what's interesting is – there are way more tight ends in this class. I, I've been told by a couple of guys that this is perhaps the deepest class ever for tight ends, ever. 
eight tight ends in the top 100. Two, like Matt Miller, and again, it's just one draft guy. Matt Miller had two first round grades on tight ends. He's like, I've never done that before. Two first round grades. So that's really interesting to think of what this tight end class could be. And if the Cowboys feel like they've got to get one, and we believe they do, they've got a chance to pull someone away and doesn't necessarily have to be in the first round because of the depth of the position there in the draft. And then finally, we'll wrap it up. And this is their thoughts of sitting there at 26. And then Jerry's comment at the very end of the press conference that, of course, everybody took away and ran with. And you'll hear the context of that as they wrapped up their press conference. Sitting at 26, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to crystal ball it. I mean, we're projecting right here, David. No one knows who's going to take what. But, yeah, we'd like to think there's going to be, a, you know, a group of guys that we're going to be, you know, pleased with. Now, you know, the one year, uh, as Jerry so artfully brought up, the Johnny Manziel year, we had three guys sitting there, and we're four picks away from picking. And they went boom, 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 boom. And we lost every one up. And so, uh, you know, that can happen. But you'd like to think – you know that we've done a good job on our our board here and we're going to feel really comfortable uh, as it starts to come our way now if we see a guy who's falling down you know when we're six seven eight picks out and you know we always ask the question what would it take up take to go up and get him does it take your bottom of the second round pick to go get him and you know we nine times out of ten we'll have that conversation so Drafting's not our problem. Coaching is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to get everybody. <laughs> and that's how the draft press conference ends. And, and, of course, that one clip is what went nuts on Twitter and social media yesterday. Drafting's not our problem. Coaching is. He was just having a little fun. He was. He was. But that's a, it, when you read that out of context, as everybody did when it made the rounds on social media, you're going, What? Well, you got, I mean, you know, you got to put the clip with it. Yes, which is why I did. I mean, and, and you hear Steven's reaction and they're all laughing and he, you know, even McCarthy was smiling when he said it. Yeah. And he probably kicked the chair up from under him when he got back <laughs> upstairs. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, that's, Jerry had, uh, Jerry probably had seven or eight one-liners yesterday. At one point, somebody asked him, some said, oh, excuse me, I was asleep. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> So he was, you know, he was, uh, he was just doing his thing yesterday, uh, and it, it, I think it's clear that yeah, he's he still carries a big, big weight and big role. But you know, Stevens driving the franchise. Oh, very much so, very much so. And and again, you didn't hear anything. Why why didn't you anything about trades or anything? Every answer they gave about a trade is is what you can think. You know, yeah, we may be trading up. We may be trading down. We may stay where we're at. They're not going to say. They don't really reveal any information other than basically philosophy and how they approach the draft. Well, they couldn't tell you anyway because right. those types of things don't happen until you get on the, uh, on the clock. There's just no yeah. way to know. No, zero. But it's exciting, and we will see how it goes Thursday night. A lot of wild things that are out there about this and in a, in a note for the podcast just so everybody is aware we will have a podcast on friday but it's going to drop late so keep, keep note of that we normally record on thursdays but because of the nfl draft i have an event on thursday night for my radio show where i will be doing a show live during the draft and so because of that we're going to record early on friday morning which means the podcast most likely isn't going to drop until probably around 9.30 a.m. on Friday morning. So just be aware of that. That way, some of you that wake up early or listen to it maybe on your way into work, it's going to be there. 
but you'll have to listen to it on the way home and we'll give you our thoughts on how the first round played out and it'll be available for you later on friday morning than it normally is so hopefully yeah we got you so hopefully you heard that and everybody is ready and just check about 9 30 on friday morning it should be there for you with our thoughts on the cowboys first round but as we move forth because we got to get into this aaron Rodgers thing because it's finally going down but before we we discuss that you need to know about freeway tire shop I was thinking about this every time I have to get something done for the car. I just wish freeway tire shop existed where I live because it, it, (laughs) dude, it would just be so much easier to know. I can drive it over there. I can get, it's like, we need to get an oil change and a tire rotation. Super simple. But even that I go, okay, well, I, I guess I can drive over to the one place that we went and they seem to be cool, but there's a place that's closer to our house, but we've never been there. And I, I, I don't, can I trust them? I don't know. And that's why with Freeway Tire Shop, you know, I can drive for whatever it is, even something simple. And JR and his guys at Freeway, you don't even have to think about it because you know you can trust them. You have peace of mind. You know they're going to stand behind their work. And I wish that I had found something like that here that we have found for you right there just north of downtown Dallas. Dude, I mean, that's why I go there because I don't want to have to worry about can I trust? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? Did they fix it? Did they get it right? I don't want to deal with all of that, man. And so that's why I rock with JR. And um, I, I say it's just like your doctor, man. You go to a doctor you trust, and if you don't like it, if you don't trust your doctor, you can find a new one. For me, JR is the same thing, man, because I trust him to diagnose what's wrong with my cars. That's first and foremost. Then I trust him to use quality parts to fix them. I trust him to charge me a fair price because we know not everybody does. We know it's a whole lot of gouging out there. What you going to do? You got to pay it because you need your car fixed. Yeah. And then I trust him to stand behind his work, man. He does all those things. And I tell people all the time, if your mechanic ain't doing all four of those things, not three out of four, not two out of all four of those things, then take your butt right up 35E toward Denton North. Get off at Commonwealth. It's about five minutes from downtown. Go through the light. Look to the right. You cannot miss it. He's right there. And go tell him uh, your boys from Jam Session sent you, and then, you know, send us a thank you note later. Yeah, there you go. It makes it easy for you. It's Freeway Tire Shop. Check them out. You can find them online, freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, Aaron and his crews over there at HFX Foundation Solutions, a big part of why the podcast continues. He gets calls from you guys all the time. And, and again, this is one of those things Rather than just waiting and seeing, like, man, those cracks on my wall seem like they're getting worse, or, huh, that's interesting, these doors are sticking, and they weren't doing that a year ago. Rather than waiting to see, oh, let's see what happens, I would call them immediately, explain what you are seeing, and they'll come out, it's a free, no-obligation inspection, that type of thing, because those are the signs that your house gives you, soil washout is included in that, sloped floors, those types of things. They'll come out and and see if you got a problem. And with foundation, you want to catch it as early as humanly possible because we are talking about something that can literally save you thousands and thousands of dollars catching it early as opposed to to catching it later on when you're dealing with your foundation in the wonky North Texas soil. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that, man. You know, a lot of times... Okay, all the time. I refer to it as a colonoscopy before your crib. And that's just a cute way to say it, but it's something that you remember. And why do we all get a colonoscopy? It's to check out the inside of your body things that you can't see and make sure you're all good. Well, your house needs the same thing, man. Sticking windows, sticking doors, those are symptoms of something going wrong. Uh, Aaron and his team can go look at your house's innards. Yeah, I said that, your house's innards. Check it out and figure out what's going on. And then they can tell you, hey, you're in good shape, or hey, we found a little something. 
Now, let's keep it real. Chances are if you find something early rather than late, it's just a fraction of the cost to fix it. That's just the way the world works. So give Aaron and his team over there at HFX a call. Let them give your crib what we lovingly call a colonoscopy and get that peace of mind that comes with knowing there's nothing going on with your house that you don't know about. It's easy to do. 817-770-0174. Or you can check them out online at hfxfoundation.com. They service all of Dallas-Fort Worth. So wherever you are in the North Texas area, they got you covered. So give them a call if you feel like you might have a problem. So the Jets have finally made this move for Aaron Rodgers. He will officially be the quarterback of the New York Jets in 2024. The Packers nightmare. They have moved on. And it's an interesting trade. So the, the Jets obviously get Aaron Rodgers. They swapped picks in the first round, which is just two picks away from each other. So the Jets go from 13 to 15 in the first round this year. And then they pick up pick number 170. And then the Packers jump up two spots. So they get the number 13 pick. They also get a second round pick in this year's draft, which is the number 42 pick overall. They get uh, like a later pick in the draft, number 207, and then they get a second round pick next year that will become a first round pick unless Aaron Rodgers gets hurt because it becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps this year for the Jets. Which all, what is also interesting is that Aaron Rodgers, it looks like, even though Joe Namath has said he will release number 12 for Aaron Rodgers to wear, apparently he is going to wear number eight. The number that he wore when he was at Cal. I was going to say, is that his college number? It is. That makes sense. I mean, this has been months, months in the works for the Jets to pick up old-ass Aaron Rodgers, who's 39 years old. He's still got it. I mean, he can still capable of playing at a high level, and, and he'll have better receivers with the Jets than he has had in years with the Packers. No, he's going to give that franchise a boost, that team a boost, that organization a boost. And, um, you know, uh, you know, it's the same thing, man. People are like, oh, the Jets overpaid. The Jets didn't. The Jets needed a quarterback, though. You know, I don't know who these people are who thought the, Pack- the Jets didn't have it. The Packers didn't have any leverage. They had all the leverage because they had the player that you wanted. Now, it could have gone bad for them, too. But ultimately, you they knew that the Jets wanted this guy. And so... You know, they worked out a good deal. And if the Jets, they haven't had a franchise quarterback since Joe Namath. And so, to me, they just need to figure out how to get through this AFC, which is going to be tough now. But they have a quarterback. They got some. They should have a, a bunch of buy-in with the players that they've got. Um, and if Aaron Rodgers can take them on a playoff run, they don't have to get to the Super Bowl, but a playoff run, then it's worth it. They just got to make sure he plays more than one year, though. And quite honestly, if he can just take them to the playoffs, it might be worth it because people forget this. The Jets haven't made the playoffs since 2010. They have the longest drought in the NFL. That's 12 consecutive reasons or seasons, reasons, 12, 12, well, and also 12 consecutive reasons, but seasons that they haven't made the playoffs. The Broncos are second most behind them and they haven't made the playoffs in seven years. So think about that. The Jets have gone five years longer than anybody else in the NFL without making the playoffs. So if Rodgers can just get him into the playoffs, that's a great start. The Jets inherit the remainder of his contract. It's $59.4 million guaranteed in salary and bonus this year. Most of it 
is a $58.3 million bonus that is due no later than week one this season. And what's really interesting about this is because of that, his bonus money being prorated, the cap hit for the Jets is only $15.8 million this year for Rodgers and $32.5 million next year. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers, because of the trade, will absorb $40.3 million in dead cap money on their salary cap. See how we say salary cap is just a paper thing? Indeed. Uh, it's only an issue if you do like the Packers did or uh, – you know, the Eagles did a couple of years ago with Carson Wentz is you make a long-term investment, it's a bad deal uh, because the guy doesn't want to play there or the guy isn't any good or whatever. That's when that's when it, it hits you. Otherwise, what the what the uh, Jets did with his money, man, that happens all the time. You're making all this money and you count 15 million against the cap and people go, oh, why? Yeah. You can do whatever you want to with the cap, literally, whatever you want to. So they will have to hope that you get the Aaron Rodgers, who was not the Aaron Rodgers of last year, coming off a season in which he threw almost as many interceptions last year as he did in the, in the three years before that combined. That's also, he didn't even crack 3,700 yards passing last year. That's the fewest for any season in which he has played 15 games. Didn't have a lot of weapons, not a good team. He'll have weapons this year. And, uh, you know, the, re the reality is um, – He's been a great player. You would think going to a new team will uh, will get him juiced. Uh, playing in a market like New York, I think, would get him juiced. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Jets, they got a lot of good young players, man. And so this kind of thing, they can take, a, take an old dude and make him not such a curmudgeon because that's what he's been the last couple of years. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe this will revitalize him a little bit and he'll stop being a colossal douchebag. Who knows? I tried to say that nicer. But well, yes. it's just it's what it is. So elsewhere, we will move on from NFL chat and a quick trip around the block here. And I, I thought, I don't know why I just find this. I find this very, very interesting because apparently we are recording this on Tuesday morning and it is now official. President Joe Biden has announced his 2024 reelection bid. And I say this, I don't know what your politics, I don't care about the politics. I'm not saying this as a left or right thing whatsoever. So I, I just, he is going to run for re-election and he is already over 80 years old. And I find that fascinating. This is a dude, he turned 80 last November. He'll be 81 this year. He will be 82 years old at the very beginning of his next term, which means if he is re-elected, we will have it potentially... An 86-year-old president at the end of his second term. You know, man, my father says you are old as you are wise and as young as you are foolish. And so Joe Biden, whether you think he's wise or whether you think he's foolish, he appears to me, appears to me to be in pretty good shape. He doesn't seem frail. So he looks like he can handle his job. I just, man... I mean, he was already by far the oldest president at the start of a presidency. 78 yeah. years old when he was he first started his presidency was he was eight years older than Donald Trump, who was second oldest. Jeez. The the old we have never had ever had a president over 80 years old ever. And he's already 80. And now potentially he could be reelected and be. 82 years old when he's reelected, basically, that is just, I mean, that is, 
I mean, I think in real talk is when you when you uh, and this is just real talk from life experience, um, not my life, other people's lives. When you hit eighty, brother, whenever it goes downhill, it goes downhill fast. Now it doesn't have to go downhill, but when it does, it's like an accelerator. And so, you know, I think um, uh, you wish him good health like you'd wish any president good health. And uh, but I just know that once you get in your 80s, man, you could be cruising along at 81, 82, 83. And then boom, it's like running backs, bro. Yeah. Just there's no rhyme or just you could fall off a cliff real quick um, at 80. And so the point being, you know, it makes your vice president that more important because, uh there's a real chance that uh, your vice president can take over if your president's in your 80s, starting their term in their 80s. Yeah, and, and that's just something, man. Like for me, and I've mentioned this before. And I, again, it has no. It, it wouldn't matter where, what political party the president represents. I would think this either way. The fact is, we have a minimum age limit to become president. And at some point, if this is going to be the case, I almost feel like they've got to start thinking about a maximum age limit to be able to run for president. Interesting. What do you think the age would be? I would say 75 because the beginning age is 35. So 35 to 75 puts you right in. I mean, that's 40 years throughout the course of life. I I think that's fair. And if you want, I mean, then bump it up to 80. If you, I mean, an 80 year old president, man, I mean, that's, I was going to say 75 allows you to, to take it until you're 80, but it doesn't allow you to get a second term. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, you you can run if you're in your mid seventies because we're talking about something that's extremely rare. As I mentioned, I mean, Biden is a, we've never had a pro president over 75 years old until Joe Biden. check, Check this out. It's extremely rare, but as the, age expectancy right. gets older and as the medicine gets better and as people uh, in that type, in that line of work uh, typically tend to take better care of themselves, you know, this, you know, it, this may become the not so, this may become the norm. It very well might. And, and, and maybe you, I, I just, I don't know, man, that's wild to me. And, you know, it's, we're seeing more of that. I was talking about this the other day with somebody you know, Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman and all these guys like Morgan Freeman's like 86, which is wild. I was reading an article earlier today. Willie Nelson turns 90 years old this upcoming weekend. Right. You know, but we're talking about quality of life, too. Like, and I haven't seen those guys. I've seen Morgan Freeman. He just released another movie. Yeah, he's Uh, he's doing it, man. I mean, he's been in Birmingham filming a movie. So he's in his 80s in what appears to be really good shape. He can you know, he's got this thing down. Other people in their mid 80s are, you know, barely living. And so, you know, everything's an individual thing about how your body responds and how you treated it as a young man or young woman. And, you know, a lot of that comes back to to what happens to you as you get older. Yeah, it's something, man. And it it is it's wild to think that now Willie Nelson to me is nowhere near what he and, and I mean, again, 90 years old, you wouldn't expect it. You certainly would not expect that to be the case. Clint Eastwood, I mean, Robert Duvall, hell, Robert Duvall's been in movies since he's turned 90, and you're still like, okay, obviously it's not even 65-year-old Robert Duvall, but he's still got a little something for you. Right, right, right. So it's feasible, but, I mean, we're talking about acting and, and singing. <laughs> we're not talking about running a country in your mid-80s, which to me is, is probably colossally more stressful than anything you are doing trying to make a movie or write some music. 
Yeah, because there's always some BS going on somewhere. You know, because as we say, um, I, th- I think I told you this, maybe I didn't. But the point of it is there's always some BS going on somewhere. So I was talking to uh, Dion one day I was in Jackson. And I said, dude, you pretty much let me go and interview anybody I want to talk to, go to any meeting I want to go to. And I just found out there's still like five things that have massive importance going on with this team that have been going on for like a couple of weeks and I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, as the president, there's all the stuff we read about in the paper. Then there's another 100 things that could send the world on its axis that we never know about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's exactly right, man. I mean, you, you, it's, I don't know. I just, that's hard to wrap my mind around. Can you imagine me and the president? Every five minutes, somebody's calling you about No, something. I couldn't imagine that. I don't even know how. Do, do they even get, I'd be shocked if they get five hours of sleep a day. I mean, there's just, there's non, there has to be just nonstop, just, oh, we can't do this. We got to call the president. You know, yeah, you would think at? so. And then we you got to wait, you got to wake up constantly at night because, I mean, for us, okay, maybe nothing is happening in our country, but something with our foreign relations, because it's daytime on the other side of the world. This just happened in the middle of the day. It's three o'clock. You're trying to sleep, Mr. President. You need to know this is going on. I mean, man, I'm out on that, dude. Yeah, it must be a wild life. It must be. I mean, yeah, you got you got the power and, and you're, you're immortal in history and you can have an impact in, in forging the country and you know if aliens exist and all those cool secrets, but you don't really get probably a lot of sleep or alone time. No, 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 no. I mean, that's the thing. Like anytime you do anything, I mean, even you're getting it on. With the first lady, you got, there is literally two guys probably standing right outside your bedroom door. <laughs> Think about that. I hadn't, but now I will. And then I'll chuckle. <laughs> I mean, that's what was all, you know, and secret service guys are never supposed to say anything or, or reveal anything. But some of those guys, I mean, they're just standing there in the room. You know, they hear all kinds of things. Even when they're not in the room, they got to be right outside the room because you got to know where the president is at all times. Yep, he doesn't get to sneak away. No, sir. Never. I mean, it's it's crazy, man. But we shall see. I I, I don't I don't follow politics, and and so again, I I'm not a political commentary person. I just the age of the president is is really interesting to me because I've always thought it was interesting that technically we could have a guy who's 35 years old be the president because I I almost feel like that's too young. <laughs> Cause I look at myself and I go, man, 35 years old. Like we could have a, we could have a dude in his mid thirties run the country. <laughs> it feels like there's a sweet spot somewhere between like 40 and 70, which and there's a reason why those are like pretty much every president is in between 40, basically 45 and 70 is pretty much where every single president until now has been. Right, right, right. So I guess it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting, man. So elsewhere uh, here as we move forth, the Texas Rangers. And man, this is, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. It's good to have a problem that actually matters that you feel like you may need to address. The Rangers, again, got really good starting pitching. They're up in Cincinnati. And we're talking about the game that happened on Monday night. And it's unfortunate because the only thing that has kept them from an eight-game win streak are 
a pair of blown leads to the Oakland A's who suck and to the Cincinnati Reds who suck because their bullpen faltered and blew opportunities to close out games in which they were leading late. It was, I I believe Smith was on the bump the other night when they did it against Oakland. And on Monday night, it was Jose LeClerc who walked two people in with bases loaded walks in the eighth and started the ninth with the walk on four straight pitches. And of the six walks the Rangers issued on Monday night, five of them came in the eighth inning or later, and they ended up blowing the game and Cincinnati walked them off. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a bad loss. These things happen in the, in the course of a baseball season. Um, it's just the way it is. It's, it's why, you know, everybody says you win 50, you lose 50, and whatever happens with that other 62 is how your season turns out. Um, and so you just have to move on. But the uh, last time this happened, they moved on well and won the series. And ultimately, yeah, you'd love to sweep teams. You'd love to uh, put those kind of things together. But ultimately, it's about can we take this series? If you take this series, yeah. it's, it's all good. Could have been better, but if you take the series, it's all good. What you don't want to do is lose the series. Um, so, you know, they were the better team yesterday. They just happened to lose. And you would hope uh, that they would come out and uh, be the better team again today. Yeah, and, and, and Boshi said after the game, I mean, he flat out said that LeClerc needed to throw more strikes. It, it, they pull LeClerc, they bring in Will Smith, and Will Smith has, I don't know if they scored it as a pass ball or a wild pitch, but it's just unfortunate. And, and now LeClerc, who Bochy says is his closer, you're three weeks into the season, over three weeks into the season, he has more blown saves than he has actual saves. And we've seen them kind of moving, you know, they'll use LeClerc sometimes. And they'll go to Will Smith sometimes. It's, I don't know, it's interesting. And, and this is something that they've got to figure out. And it's good that you're, you're getting this early, that this is a problem early. Because it feels like the starting pitching and the lineup is good enough where, okay, if this is the only thing we have to address, we've got time to figure this out. Which is nice. No, I, I think uh, that's a big thing. Uh, you know, closers are like quarterbacks. If you got multiples, you don't have one. And so uh, they got to they got to narrow it down. And you know, Leclerc was supposed to be the guy. When I saw him pitch last week. He was bad. Uh, yesterday he was bad. Couldn't throw strikes. And uh, I'm not saying he's got to lose his spot yet, but he's got to be on notice. Like, bruh, it's, you know, it's unacceptable, Doc. We're gonna give you another opportunity here or there, but if you can't take advantage of it, then we got to find somebody who can. Because uh, we have a good team this year, and we can't give away games where we're up four and five runs. I mean, that's the that's the problem. Yeah, you know, four one lead, yep. four nothing last week. Yep. That's the problem. You know, and uh, I knew the Reds were going to win once they tied it up because just kind of the momentum of the game it switched completely. They had lost six or seven in a row, and they were like, "Oh my God, we got a chance to win!" And so when that happens, man. Uh, usually the team that, that's been in a bad spot figures out a way to get it done. Yeah, and it, it's it's just unfortunate. You know, they, they they couldn't hold on because Evaldi wasn't dominant, but he gave him six innings, and he was solid. He struck out seven, only walked one, which was nice. So, you know, now the hope is, and you can pick up the, the next two in Cincinnati and then come home for what's going to be a hell of a fun weekend against the Yankees, man. What a, what a, if you are a, a Dallas sports fan, outside of the Mavs, of course, being 100% irrelevant right now, 
You got NFL draft on Thursday and Friday, rounds one, two, and three. You got Yankees and Rangers Thursday through Sunday. So you got Rangers and Yankees on Thursday and Friday night as well. And then on Friday, you got Dallas Stars game six in an elimination game in playoff hockey. I am going to need multiple devices. Dude, just fly in and come hang out for the weekend. (laughs) Well, it's funny because my buddy Juan is coming out to visit this weekend. And I told him, I was like, hey, man. Uh, we can bounce around a little bit. And obviously we're going to go out and hit some breweries and do some things. But I said, man, Friday, if you're cool, I think we ought to just hang at the house because we got stars, we got Rangers, we got draft, and we can just sit around, drink beer at the house and watch all those things. Uh, That sounds like a plan to me. It is going to be a plan because I'm going to go out on a limb here. I seriously doubt many places in Birmingham will be showing Dallas Stars hockey and Texas Rangers baseball. I I would agree with that. But you never know. And speaking of the Dallas Stars... They've got game five. We are recording this Tuesday. They play tonight, so we won't know what happens, the outcome of this one. But, man, the game the other night on Sunday, Stars did what they needed to do. And I felt like it's always interesting because the, the guys in studio, most of which, other than Liam McHugh and whoever the other host is, the other three guys, it's like the basketball broadcast. They all played hockey for years and years. you know, And all of them said, this is the point of the series. You've got three games in. And, you know, game one, the Stars probably were the better team, but Minnesota took it. You kind of look at game two, Dallas by far whipped them, kind of lopsided. Game three, Minnesota whipped them lopsided. Game four, you kind of expect to see this series become really what it should be, which is probably going to be a close, tight game. The Stars are the slightly better team. Can they get one on the road? And that's exactly what happened. It, it, it wasn't without its moments, but it was a much more settled game in which the stars dealt out a little bit of physicality of their own and once you've played a team three times and you kind of understand that I thought what we saw from game four and also Jake Ottinger who was just absolutely stunningly good on Sunday I mean he stopped multiple odd man rushes he stopped a shot towards the end of the game that even the wild players are like how in the world didn't we score on that and Jake Ottner did what a, a high-quality goalie should do, which is back up the play of the team in front of him, and the Stars were able to even the series, bringing it back to Dallas tonight. Yeah, and, um, you know, we thought it was going to be a long series. It's yeah. 2-2. It's the best of three now. Um, I'm not really anticipating Pavelski anymore this season. I mean, anymore this series. Um, and so that means you got to – hey, Tyler Sagan chipped in with a couple goals the other day. We haven't really seen that before. And so, you know, you need guys to – step up and play to their pedigree. Um, Robo's got to deal with the physicality and, uh, you know, get back to be about the business of scoring goals. And, uh, you know, I think they're the slightly better team. They just need to go ahead and, and get it done. Yeah, and you're on home ice, and I am hoping that – Dude, I, I, home ice ain't meant nothing. No, it hasn't. But, well, it did in game two, I, I thought. I mean, the stars and in game three, the energy of the building in this series – for the Stars in game two, you know, you could tell they were feeding off the crowd. And I thought Minnesota, when they got home for the first game back in game three up in Minnesota, were feeding off the crowd pretty big time. Actually, I, I didn't say that right. I mean, in general, in the league, home ice hadn't meant much. I think the uh, road teams are got a better record than the home teams. Uh, but uh, you would always rather play at home than on the road. So no let's hope that the uh, Stars crowd can uh, – help them amp it up and, uh, and get it up. Yeah, and then when you play at home, you have the short bench, which is easier, or short change, I should say. You get that twice instead of once, which sometimes can help with strategy and just different things. But, 
Yeah, man, I hope so, because I, I would like to, on Friday, be able to watch a potential Dallas Stars playoff clinching game Friday evening, which would be really, really nice, instead of freaking out on every shot, wondering if the Stars are going to be eliminated. That helps me <laughs> tremendously. I bet it <laughs> I'm does. I'm just saying, man. So it's nice because it's an earlier puck drop tonight, and then coming up on Friday, I haven't seen that they have a time yet, and the reason why is because... Some of the series that are on the slate for Friday night, we will find out tonight along with the stars of what that is and how those things will play out of whether or not they will need that extra game because Boston and Florida play on Wednesday night. And if Boston eliminates them, then Carolina and New York play tonight and both Carolina and Boston with a win would eliminate the Islanders and the Panthers. And if that happens, then the stars would play earlier on Friday instead of later, which would be fantastic. Uh, I'm all for anything that helps my sleep pattern. No doubt, man. And, and part of it too is you just, you, you want that to happen so that if there is a double overtime game, you don't have to go to bed. Like it actually ends like a normal night instead of, wow, it's already past midnight. Dude, that's the life, bro. That's it is. Life. All right, kids. We'll talk to you after it goes down. Who will be the newest Dallas Cowboy? We'll find out Thursday night. And again, keep in mind, we will have a podcast on Friday. It'll be a late drop. Friday morning should be available for you around 9.30 a.m. Jacques and I are going to wake up early Friday morning and knock it out after the conclusion of round one. So be looking for that a little later than normal on Friday, but it will be there for you at some point Friday morning. Cowboys draft, man. It's exciting. Is it going to be Micah Parsons? Is it going to be Taco Charlton? We don't know. <laughs> wow. We don't know. Can't wait to find out. Have a great next couple of days. We'll talk to you after round one. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.